The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel. I'm the host for this podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer of the podcast. If you or someone you know has a story you'd like to tell, reach out to us on our website, theaddictionpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and please give us a five-star rating so that more people can find us. Also, check out our YouTube channel by the same name, The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and give us a thumbs up on some of our videos. It just helps Google find us, and our whole purpose with our podcast is to give hope and help to those suffering from addiction or those who have loved ones suffering from addiction. So when you do that, it helps us do that. Today we have an interview with Dr. Camille Kraft. She is an athlete, counselor, educator, and business owner who is passionate about collectively constructing positive concepts. One of the reasons we wanted to talk to her today is because she was the president and administrator of the NFL substance abuse program. And so while she herself is an athlete, we wanted to talk to her about addiction and how it affects some of our athletes. So without further ado, let's talk to Dr. Camille Kraft. Dr. Camille Kraft, thank you so much for being willing to be on the podcast today. and telling us all about your part in handling addiction and what you know about addiction, especially among athletes. Good morning, and, and thank you so much for having me. I am so looking forward to spending some time with both you and your husband, Steve. Um, I looked through your um, past podcasts, and I don't know where I really fit in because I'm not an addict. I am not an addict specialist, although I um, we have worked closely with athletes and addictions. And I think the role and the word I came up best to suit me or fit me or more com most comfortable for me to wear is advocate. And for me, having been the administrator for the NFL substance abuse program, I saw a missing link. And I really feel I am that bridge piece for that missing link for athletes in particular and a very good fit. And I, and and I, I think that's huge. I think that's fine. You know, we have all different kinds of viewpoints and input on the podcast, whether it's a researcher who's researching the effects of marijuana or whether it's someone that was addicted to heroin and is now you know, running their own church. There's all kinds of different viewpoints, but give us just a little bit of your background because you're an athlete yourself. So give us a little bit of, of your background. Tell us a little bit about you. So I always stumble on that question when people ask, tell me about yourself. And I think I should know myself the best, but when it comes to explaining who I am, it seems to be a bit daunting to me, but I'm the person who says yes to everything. And I've learned that from wonderful childhood with wonderful parents, a father who was a NASA engineer, software engineer, and a fault tolerance expert. So his um, 
comment to all four of us, I'm the youngest of four, was what's your backup plan? What's your backup plan? Ah. And my mother and my mother was an educator. So we were encouraged or come from the generation of whatever you're going to do, you be the best. So um, but at the same time, education was extremely pushed in our family to um, there was no question whether we were going to get an education. It was just a college education. It was where. And how it was going to be paid for wasn't the question either. It was, it's going to happen. However, it has to happen. Five jobs, it's going to happen. So um, I was... You, you grew up as an athlete, is that correct? It You've did. always I wrote, done sports. I wrote, I, I, it seems like a fairy tale in the sense that I rode the Title IX wave. In 1972, I was five. We had just moved to Laguna Niguel, Southern Laguna Beach, California. Everybody was outside in the neighborhood. Everybody had children, all the families. Everyone participated in the community soccer team, in the community swim team. We were outdoor. We were just ragamuffins outside running around. And the rule was you had to come in when the streetlight went on. And the terrible part of that was we had a streetlight in front of our house. So there was oh. no dodging. It. <laughs> you couldn't so, get away from it. Camille, you said... Title IX wave? What is that? What does that mean? Title IX came, it was passed um, in 72, and it was uh, it's supposed to be where boys and girls are provided equal opportunities in education. I see. Textbooks. Okay. Anything to do with education, and it has a branch within sport for equal opportunities for girls to play sports. So girls were just getting into organized sports. We were getting the boys' soccer uniforms, and we thought that was great. And so I played sports competitively from the time I was five through college, and I still swim today. I, I, I'm, a, I'm not competitive by any means, but active, definitely. About, I swim about 200 miles a year, so it keeps me keeps my brain going. <laughs> okay, now, thank you. I, I understand you didn't have um, a substance abuse problem in in your life but did you encounter it or did you see it with any fellow athletes prior to working with the NFL was it something you were aware of or not so much well a little just a little bit backwards I, I so I have my master's in counseling I have my undergraduate in psychology my master's in counseling my doctorate in administration I've always worked on a college campus it's really my sweet spot I am um, not to tout, but to explain myself better. And I was wondering if I should even go there, but I received an award just about everywhere I worked, mentor of the year, woman of the year. And I attribute those um, administrator of the year relationships and building relationships. And my parents, my parents, my dad was the kind of guy that went through the grocery store and said, you have blue eyes. My nephew has blue eyes. Would have a conversation with anyone. And my mother, we called the mayor because she knew everybody and would talk to everybody. And so I think being in that age group, um, being my sweet spot, being involved in relationships with students for so long, 20 years, um, alcohol and drugs are unavoidable. <laughs> so I've been around it. I haven't been directly involved with it. Um, and so... Where my strength comes is in relating the athletics perspective 
to substance abuse, understand, speaking athletics, so to speak. Well, and thank you. And I think that that's important because uh, we know, because we've interviewed former professional athletes, that pain is a part of sports. I, that sounds like very cliche when I say that, but let's face it, it is. Whether you're a ballet dancer dancing on your toes and putting all kinds of stress on your feet, or whether you're a tennis player with tennis elbow, pain is part of that. And we know from having interviewed professional athletes that that can lead to pain meds and that can take off from there. So there's definitely a tie in there with athletics. And that's why I was wondering if you if you saw any of that or encountered some of that. And it, it sounds like you encountered some. The culture within college sports is the pep rallies, the pregame warmups. Each sport has its own culture. Um, it, it's, it, it, it resonates within sport, uh, pain, culture of the sport, celebration of the sport. Um, it's, it's pretty imbued within sport all over the place. Yes, I, I, would, I would say it's prevalent, it's prevalent. Yes, and we, when we interviewed a former professional football player, and I know you were involved in the NFL, and so we want you to talk about that, but he said, that you know taking pain meds was almost part of the job description because for every position on the field there was a whole bunch of people waiting to take that position and so you don't want to sit on the bench because you're hurt you have to suck it up do whatever you have to do and then get out there and play did you see that when you were working with the nfl did you see some of that well, I've seen it in college sport and I've seen it at the um, NFL, the professional level. I mean, just imagine being a teacher and every day you went in to teach your class. If you didn't do an A performance, there was a teacher in the wing ready to take your job. So the level of stress, I just spoke to a former professional athlete yesterday, football player, and he went on and on. It really, I knew, I've known him about 25 years. Um the stress of being cut every year, especially when they get to the end of their career, they're on the team one day, they're off the team the next day, they're on the team, they're on the practice squad. And so um, there's a lot of stress that goes on with it. And I, I listened to your podcast and I found some themes among, I'm a researcher, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I taught graduate statistics to coaches. And um, I think the themes on an ethnography level uh, is that, you have a family and family is bread and you have, we're a family, we're brotherhood and the time that they spend in that locker room and, and the women's sports as well, the ties are so deep and the blood on the field and the sweat on the field. And then to be so nonchalantly let go, you're almost um, orphaned, stripped. And then there's no pads to hide under or helmet to hide from. And that transition not only from career-wise, but the psychological transition that isn't obviously, there's this mentality of almost throwing someone in a swimming pool and see, that's how you teach them how to swim. So maybe there's a post-transitional program to hop from one career to the other career, but the psychological aspect of treating that person's transition 
and their identity um, seems to be missing. That's a part that's missing for me. There's there's a lot of parts that are missing for me, and but that one in particular seems to be a theme. The three I, I listened to the professional swimmer, um, mm-hmm. Olympic swimmer. Yep. Um, and Ryan Leaf and Randy Grimes, and then Randy Grimes and his wife. And there were themes of family. There were themes of identity, pain, transition. All three of them spoke of those um, different parts of their podcast, but they all addressed it. So it seems to be a reoccurring theme, a reoccurring issue. And what do we do to help and support those people? Well, and if you add in, in Randy's case, for example, an already, um, you know, burgeoning dependence on painkillers and drugs, then you have not only the kind of instantaneous, you're not playing anymore, and the fact that now he doesn't have access to the drugs as easily as he did, and he has to have them because he's now got a dependency going. So, you know, you have, in his case, and perhaps with other athletes, um, and you can share, you know, obviously I don't expect you to name any names, but I would imagine that, that, that Randy's not alone in experiencing that. Well, there's a love-hate relationship I have with sports and particularly football. Football is like no other. You have a team of 100. There's all walks of life. There are people who would never come across each other unless it were for sport. They're a family. They learn, there's just a love there. There's so many life lessons that are within the sport. But then when you think about it on the field, there are um, young men running into trucks, play after play after play that are moving at high speeds. And if I did that once, I would be out for a week. They do it play after play after play after play and your body just can't sustain that life. And so, you know, there's other things such as yoga or meditation or, or swimming, or there's other opportunities, but sure, pain is a large part of the backside of football and how to deal with it. Um, so, yeah, exactly. I mean, um, when I was at an event where Randy spoke and he showed a video uh, prior to speaking and it was just tackle after tackle after tackle. Yeah. And we were all like, oh my goodness, you know, why, why are they not like carried off the field with a million broken bones? I mean, it was horrendous. But your, your job with the NFL, the substance abuse program, what was that job? What did that entail? It was awesome. I loved it, but it wasn't, it ended up not to be such a great fit in the sense of, but there's, as an older person, there's great perspective. It's a big machine to turn it or move. It is monumentous. It is just, it's a big machine. And um, I don't know, I, I kind of compare it to school shootings there. We need to change the mousetrap. Like to just see things happen and happen and happen and happen. And the statistics that are kept on retired athletes, how many end up broke, dead, divorced. I mean, that we keep the statistics, but what are we doing to bend those statistics to lessen them? And for me, I have the day I, I resigned from my position. And the day I resigned, I wrote the commissioner a three-page outline on what I would do to change the program. And I've held on to that for about three years now. 
And I am, it's, I would, there's days it haunts me, but there's just little things that could be tweaked that could make it such a great program. In fact, when I first started the position, I, one of my first responsibilities was to go to a conference. And so my job was the administrator of the program for the whole nation um, to make sure. So all the teams and all the clinicians, I coordinated the treatment plans, the players, where they went, who they were seeing with the medical director. The medical director ran it. And then I did all the coordinating of, so I thought, what if I ever had a substance abuse program, I would want to be a professional football player because they have such an unbelievable program. But then there were tweaks, there were parts that I saw fell short and it was just from the position that I was sitting in, I could see. You, you would have to sit in that position to see what was, from And then there's different cultures within the United States. A drug that's predominantly used in New York may not be used in California or there. So regionally, you have different things to look at, players, upbringings. So um, overall, the program, I think it's good. And I think it's good to have a program. And I'm thrilled that they have the program. But to um, customize it would be really difficult. But I think there's quite a few things that could be changed about it that would make it fantastic. So interesting. I, I live with that burden. <laughs> I, I, no, I get it. It's tough when you are in a situation like that and you can see that things need to change. But as you say, it's, it's big. It's not, you know, it's not something that you can just walk in and change this, that, and everything's different. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727 314 7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. So... Based on your own history with sports and athletics and what you saw working with the NFL. Now, again, just as a reminder, this podcast is all about addiction. So it's all about drugs. And um, so my question is, what, what kind of advice would you give to up and coming athletes or parents of athletes on that subject, painkillers? drugs, what have you, what, what would, what advice would you give them? Well, it, I, I don't, I, I have to think about how to articulate this. I don't know if it's advice. I guess it is. Um, but 
the ultimate experience is counseling or going to treatment or what have you. So prior to, I, I say, I've had this conversation with my family and my husband saying, I don't know if I would want my um, child to be involved in professional athletics. Uh, you really have to be a special person to be cut out to, um, I don't want to say survive, but to enjoy the experience uh, and, and come out the other side and move on with life. But um, it would have to be a very honest, open conversation from the beginning. And so that's where I think my expertise lies, where a judge prepares um, a client for a trial. My expertise lies in preparing a player or an athlete for treatment. So that's a conversation that should be in the beginning, should be in the middle, and should be in the end. It should be a constant conversation. And I know when players come into the league, um, they are the next shiny star, right? So the, it's like winning the lottery. How do you handle being given your dream? Like, how do you handle that? That's an overwhelming thing for a young person to handle. Unless you're coming from a rooted, grounded family, who's involved or you have someone or a mentor or someone who's asking the questions that that person is in, in the place to ask. So those conversations have to begin in the beginning and uh, remain active, current. And I also think I, I'm a strong proponent of this. In fact, you, I know you mentioned you were a Buccaneers fan and I have become a huge Buccaneers fan. Yay, go Bucks! <laughs> for a lot of reasons, but mostly I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Gay Culverhouse in this um, podcast. So her family was the original owners of the Buccaneers. She was the president of the Buccaneers. We became fast friends and she became a mentor of mine. And I miss her dearly. She passed July 1 of last year, of this year, of this year. Um, and she's the one who pushed me forward to meet, meet Randy. And she's the one who had me, I contributed to a book she just had published. And she's the one who, now I'm on Randy's board. So she's pushed me forward, but it was in discussing these ideas I had with her about what should be my insight and her deep belief in what I was saying to her that I, I believe was missing. And so I, I just... Counseling is counterintuitive to an athlete. Um, you know, you have an athlete who you tell grit is such a popular word right now in my mind. And grit is not a healthy word in an athlete's mind. It, so I think a lot of these athletes grind are pleasers. They just want to get through treatment to get back on the field. There's not a idea of processing, thinking, free thinking. They've been dictated plays, studied plays, uh, memorized, uh, almost to the point of preemptive strikes where they can think what the other person's thinking. They have armor on, they have helmets on. They have So this all of a sudden being submerged in counseling or the sharing your deepest, darkest emotion, which has been perceived as a weakness for 25 years, which got them into a professional setting to abandon those beliefs and become vulnerable, um, that's another buzzword. You hear, be vulnerable, be vulnerable. But if you don't teach someone how to become vulnerable, it's still a lost, lost teaching. 
So um, I, that, those are my firm beliefs. I believe that we have to prepare these young people. And as you brought up from the beginning, in the middle, in the end, about how to encounter treatment so that they have the best leg up to be successful. Just as they do, the transitional skills are there. The sk skill set is there through athletics. It just needs to be twisted a little and applied to treatment. And I think with that little twisting, there'd be more opportunity for success. I think you're absolutely right. I think that is- I can tell I'm getting passionate about it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, an, it's, a totally, it's a totally valid, it's a, it's a valid thing, okay. It, but it's valid what you're saying. And I can mm -hmm. see, I can totally see where that's lacking when you have a young kid who maybe has a single mom and you know doesn't have any sort of mentorship, but he's brilliant at his sport and boom, he's now a star. You know, he doesn't know how to deal with things like that you're discussing and, and it's that's huge, you know, and and counseling could or the need for counseling could be perceived as a weakness, but it's oh, it not, is. you know. Yeah. And it's not. Do you do you get to do counseling one on one to right now? Are you doing that right now? I am I am moving in that direction. So I have a consulting business and I do do that. And I've worked with former I just I worked last year almost a year solid with one um professional athlete. And um the what I like what you said that has resonated with me is when to start this conversation. Um, Demystifying and teaching and, you know, so to speak, an old dog new tricks is very hard, very hard. And it's, it's um, sitting in my shoes. It's, um, I don't want to say hurtful, but it's, it's painful to watch because like I said, I, the tools are there. The toolbox is there. It just needs to be packaged in a way for them and have, they have the skills. I mean, everyone that goes through treatment has to do it themselves, has to find the way that works for them. There's not one set. If there was one set answer, everybody would have that answer. Um, but they're, the skill set is so vast that they have that I think they could find success one way or another, or at least shorten the stint between being in rehab and having success. You know, I, I don't think banging your head against the wall or just gritting it and bearing it or trying to survive it until you come to an understanding that, oh, I need to, the light bulb goes off. If I could turn the light bulb on for you <laughs> five years earlier, I mean, look at how much more um, that would enjoy, allow someone to enjoy their life to, that they've worked hard for, you know, so. Exactly. Have you, um, again, without mentioning any names, have you experienced turning on that light bulb and having it be like a, a success for you? That you want to like, share? I, I, I would like to say yes. But um, I don't know. I, I I don't know how to answer that question, really, to tell you the truth. I think it's a constant struggle. I think it's an opportunity to see something a little differently. And my hope is that 
particularly the NFL or any professional sports agency out there or a sports league sees the need um, or the avenue that I'm pursuing in so many ways. What's the object objective? To get the player out back on the field, to earn money, to have a life, to have a family. So is it to rehab the athlete or is it to get them back on the field? What is the responsibility for um, substance abuse programs with professional athletes? Hopefully the ultimate answer is to get them healthy and get them a life. But the short term answer is really to get them back on the field. And how do we do that as soon as possible without them having to you know, I listened to the two, three, the three athletes that I heard from your podcast, and it torments me to listen to that because I think, do we really, do we, when you ask someone, how many times do they, did they seek help or how many times did they go through rehab? I never hear the answers one, <laughs> one and done. And athletes are, athletes are used to a straight line for success you know, run harder, work harder, and they see success. So we know success is not a straight line. So how does an athlete deal with um, not succeeding, not being successful, and and how that overtakes their whole life? You know, they don't take to, I don't believe they take to failure in the same way the population takes to failure. It really, really um, is a deep rooted experience for them. And so they have to get past the failure, then get to the learning process, then get to success. So to answer your question way back when, I, I think it's a, yes, I have worked with people who have, who have thanked me, but it's such a process. So that's yeah. why I say, it. I don't know how to answer that question. No, I, I get it. I totally understand. Um, so if someone wanted to reach out to you because they're they were interested in counseling, how would they do that? How do they find you? Oh, well, I guess just my email. Dr. Camille Craft at Gmail. Okay. Uh, and it's Craft com. with a K and Camille with two L's. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that because <laughs> even one of my alma maters was posting something about me and they used a C. I think when people start with Camille, they keep going with the C, but it's it's like the cheese company. Yes. craft with with no relations unfortunately but it's okay yeah it's, um is it doctor spelled out or dr 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 camille craft at gmail gmail okay perfect yeah. thank you thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today of i know course. you're a busy lady i think you bring a perspective that is different than anybody else i know that you have helped tons of people i know that and I think that what you bring to the table is extremely valuable in the oh. area of sports and athletics. Thank you. I hope so. Absolutely. Anything you would like to add um, about what you're doing? I, I would like to quickly mention my latest endeavor. And it involves Randy Grimes and it involves Gay Culverhouse, who's still... Um, from wherever she is, above wherever, beside me on my shoulder, pushing me, just named to the national board for the professional athletes in recovery, the Pro Air Board. And they're hosting, I'm, I'm just learning in this as I go, but they're we, I should say we are hosting a pickleball tournament with celebrities and pros and what have you, April 1st, out in Del Rey. 
And that is so exciting about that for me is that the money and the proceeds are going to help people in paying for recovery at a 50% level. So there's skin in the game. The person who can't afford the whole bill, but needs some assistance. My understanding is that's where this, the benefit of the, the benefits from this tournament will be going. So how great is that? That's awesome. And please, yeah. um, I'm, I mean, I'm sure we'll hear from Randy, but just in case we don't, please be sure and email us. Email, you have email, Steve's email, you have my email. You know, email us and keep us posted on how that's coming together. If someone wanted to participate, is it on the Pro Athletes in Recovery website? Is that where they would find out about it? Definitely. Okay, Definitely. perfect. ProAthletesInRecovery.com? I believe org? so. Okay. I believe it's com. I'll make sure I put it in there yeah. properly when I, when I do it. Thank you again, Camille. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Definitely. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Dr. Kraft, a different perspective. After we were uh, done with the interview, she mentioned several times Gay Culver House, who owned the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and she wrote a book called When the Cheering Stops. Gay Culver House did, but um, Dr. Kraft was um, a contributor to that book. And all of the proceeds from that book go to charity goes to a charity called retiredplayerassistance.org. And also I wanted to let you know that if you want to find out about what pro Professional Athletes in Recovery is doing, it is proathletesinrecovery.org. Next week is Thanksgiving, once again, if you have a loved one who has a substance abuse problem, or if you yourself do, don't wait until after the holidays to get treatment. Addiction doesn't take a holiday. Addiction's not going to stop. It's only going to get worse the longer it goes untreated. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next week with a very exciting interview of two people you're not going to want to miss. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.